Welcome to Forecast, the foreshadow podcast seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. I'm Josh, the editor of Foreshadow, a digital magazine oriented towards the kingdom of God. Today's episode introduces a new project within Foreshadow called Forethought, which provides resources for people exploring or already engaged in writing as a form of ministry. But what is the ministry of writing? To illustrate this, I'll read an essay about vocation and writing. Then I'll share clips of previous guests we've had on Forecast discussing vocation and their own work in writing poems and composing music. But first, a brief word about Forethought. The project is a page on the Foreshadow website where you can find links to articles, essays, books, and other resources on the Ministry of Writing. Although it's primarily for writers, other artists, such as composers and visual artists, may also benefit from these resources. So do visit Forethought and send us any further resources you may know of. You can find the project at foreshadowmagazine.com and then clicking the Resources tab. And now here's a personal essay I wrote about writing as a form of ministry. Seeking Vocation and the Ministry of Writing It was during my first year of university that I first heard of writing as a vocation. Pastor and writer Eugene Peterson was visiting my campus for a public interview, and towards the end, when asked what advice he'd give to people considering becoming writers, he said, Do it. We need all we can get. There's never enough storytellers. There are a lot of people who want to write stories, but they don't want to go through the discipline, the agony, the immersion in life it requires to tell the truth with all this. No, I think writing is one of the sacred callings. Peterson's words inspired me. I was one of those people considering becoming a writer, and he prompted me to ask questions like, what does it mean for writing to be a vocation? How does that correspond with other Christian vocations? Might this be my calling? Such questions compelled me to study and practice writing at university and beyond. At the same time, I knew that my Christian faith called me to love my neighbor and serve people's practical needs. So I got involved in various ministries at my local church, and when I was invited to serve as an intern there, during my final year of university, I gratefully said yes. It seemed a way to deepen my participation there. But when I shared this news with someone who knew me well, they asked, Might interning compete with your writing? Given my pursuit of writing, I understood where they were coming from. If writing were my vocation, perhaps it should have been my primary focus, even over interning at church. But I also thought that, while not my main reason, interning might provide the immersion in life Peterson had said was required to write well. In the end, I discovered that my work as an intern and my writing would not only complement each other, but also reveal a deeper truth about vocation. The intern house and the church it adjoins are in San Diego, California. 
The church parking lot, basketball court, spills between a black metal gate into a paved garden area behind the house. For two years, I lived and served there, with eight guys, some of them coming and going at different times, along with the church caretaker. Our responsibilities included hosting a weekly dinner and Bible study, helping out at Friday night community dinners, working with the youth and children's groups, and making sure the intern house was clean, or at least clean enough. The neighborhood I lived in is just a few miles from the San Diego Zoo, Balboa Park, downtown, the Hotel del Coronado, and other attractions. Despite growing up in San Diego, though, I didn't know that that neighborhood even existed before attending church there. Some call it the inner city. The majority of people live below the poverty line and speak English as a second language. Yet joy required no translators. Every afternoon, the neighborhood was full of children running down sidewalks or riding home on skateboards after school. Among the happiest sounds I heard was the voice of our next-door neighbor, a four-year-old girl who would greet me with, Hi, Chach, her, na- her way of saying my name. What are you doing? Can I have a flower? Although we interns were surrounded by children, it was through writing that I recognized their value more deeply than before. As poet Scott Cairns has said, writing a poem can help us discover truth. That semester, for one of my classes, I was assigned to write a sonnet. My sonnet ended up telling a story of the neighborhood children suffering from summer heat and praying for deliverance. Writing it revealed to me what I was learning subconsciously, that children were the heartbeat of the neighborhood, and that God loved them. I began realizing that my work as an intern was balanced by my hidden activity as a writer, both fed into each other. Not only did my responsibilities make their way into my writing, but writing was also a sanctuary where, in the silence of the small desk in the corner of my room, I could recharge and reflect truthfully on questions or challenges I had. Cairns has also described writing as a space in which the writer can commune with God. I found this to be true. I wrote one poem, based on Psalm 23, as a prayer to accompany my twelve-mile journeys by foot, bus, and trolley from my university on the coast to the intern house. Here's an excerpt. Even though I walk beside fast cars and down dark streets in the rain, you protect me. Fear does not belong in the company of my thoughts. In addition to personal writing, I found companionship in books such as Fyodor Dostoevsky's The Brothers Karamazov. The protagonist, Alyosha, is a monk who, along with fellow monks, serves the poor who visit them. I identified with Alyosha. He lived in a monastery. I lived next to a church. Just as the monks received guidance from Father Zosima, we interns learned from our pastor. When I read about Alyosha's friendship with a group of youths, I realized that their town shared similarities with our neighborhood. One character in the book, 
a boy who once lay between railroad tracks as a train passed over him, reminded me of a brave ten-year-old boy I knew who was slightly taller than a fire hydrant, but stronger, brighter, and always moving. I don't remember ever seeing him walk. He was always on his skateboard, or running, or swaying, and sometimes he would greet me with, Sup, Josh? before disappearing somewhere down the road. At some point, one of my roommates and I started a writing group at the intern house. We welcomed fellow interns, friends, and the youth group. Every Tuesday night, we would do writing exercises and share any poems we had written over the past week. Once, I was explaining to the group how we often use metaphors to describe something mysterious by means of something understandable. Then someone said that Jesus Christ must be the ultimate example of metaphor, because through the Incarnation, God reveals to us the mystery of divinity through tangible humanity. In other words, Jesus is a bridge between who we are and who we are called to become. In St. Athanasius' words, God became a man so that man might become God. I didn't recognize it at the time, but that theological conversation about poetry suggests a deep truth about vocation. If, as St. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human being fully alive, then it seems that our ultimate calling is becoming fully alive in Christ and sharing in His divinity. Perhaps such a transformation is even a participation in Christ's work of making all things new, as He says in the book of Revelation. This may be a way to understand monk and writer Thomas Merton's writing that the vocation of all Christians is to enter deeply into their part of restoring all things in Christ. Maybe then, my internship and writing were avenues through which I could become more like Christ and, in the process, participate in His restoration of all things. This resembles Karen's defining vocation as yet another way that God ministers to us, another way that God reveals His love for us. Maybe God gave me those smaller vocations of interning and writing, and maybe God gives all of us a variety of smaller vocations from being spouses or parents to our occupations to any other situations in which we find ourselves as gifts of varying significance to help us fulfill that greater vocation of becoming fully alive in Christ and thus embodying, to some degree, the new creation. At the end of the Brothers Karamazov, Alyosha gives a farewell speech to the boys he has befriended. During my own final gathering with the church youth group, I remembered Alyosha's words. He says, You must know that there is nothing higher or stronger or sounder or more useful afterwards in life than some good memory, especially a memory from childhood, from the parental home. You hear a lot said about your education, yet some such beautiful, sacred memory, preserved from childhood, is perhaps the best education. 
If a man stores up many such memories to take into life, then he is saved for his whole life. And even if only one good memory remains with us in our hearts, that alone may serve some day for our salvation. Looking back, I believe those words apply to my experience as an intern. The neighborhood, the life of the church, the people I lived and worked with, and the act of writing were all part of one glorious vocation through which I experienced and participated in the transforming love and salvation of God for the world. Next, here's a short clip from a conversation I had earlier this year with Carl Winderl, a poet and the author of the book The Gospel According to Mary. He describes his own bivocational ministry as a writer and missionary, and the devotional nature of his writing. The clip comes from Forecast Episode 7, A Writer is Always at Work. The interesting thing is that no matter where I go, I write. I write every day. Uh, no days off. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that. Um, my assignment here is as a missionary educator, but everybody knows when I took the assignment, I'm 50% missionary educator, but I'm also a 50% writer. So what I do, as I've been doing for the last 25, 30 years, the first fruits of my day go to my writing. And as you know, and as I'll continue to explain here, there's no conflict in my writing between my faith and my art. You know, I feel very blessed, you know, like Michelangelo. Well, it's kind of dropping a name. But anyway, we know him as, as a sculptor that most of what infused his art was his faith. I mean, everybody knows the David, you know, there in the Uffizi Gallery in Florence. I mean, what a marvelous piece of sculpture, but it's also an impressive piece of faith at work. And so uh, for me, that's, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, is that the first few hours of my day, uh, even when I was a faculty member, I would try to get after chapel classes or around lunchtime classes so I could stay home and spend the first three or four days, three or four hours of the day working on, on, my, on my poetry. This next clip comes from a conversation I had with composer Scott Stevens. He describes his own experience and understanding of writing music as a vocation and what motivates him to compose. It comes from Forecast Episode 4, Listening Inwardly. I think, I think there is a difference between occupation and vocation, but I also think that, you know, for some, there is a commingling of that. Um, they, they can both, both be the same thing. And I know for me, making a living from writing music uh, is both an occupation and a vocation. And when I say vocation, that's when I start to 
try and distance that definition from maybe it just being a job. I feel like um, I feel like it's really important for me to try and use something that I'm so passionate about. And um, you know, this this is another another little tidbit from the Destin Cretton interview. I won't keep coming back to that, but something that you said really stuck with me. Um, Cause you know, I'll, I, I would love to have, have kids someday. And he, uh, he talked about the importance of his kids seeing him doing something that he loved. And, you know, if there came a time where music was not seeming viable or, you know, out of, out of some sense of urgency, I had to try and take some other work to support a family. Like, sure, that's, that's going to happen um, or could happen. But um, as much as can, I feel so deeply within myself that I must create and it music is is what I love creating the most. And so to be able to um, write music for stories or write music for commercials and you know help communicate things is really important. And um, I, I think the, the the runner from uh, you know you'll you'll think of the the movie Chariots of Fire. Um, the runner said, you know, God God made me fast, and I run to His pleasure. And I think the way that I I feel that in my life is. I feel like I was made for music, I, you know, so much of my fibers, my nerves, my thoughts, my everything kind of bends towards music. Cause I'm curious and I, I cherish it. And, um, you know, it's, it's basically like having toys, music as a toy. And I love playing with, with music as a toy. Um, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's, I know the way music makes me feel. I know, um, I know the way that, music has made other people feel sorry for the well it's, the, we're, the it's very appropriate we're talking about callings yeah <laughs> oh you're good at this yeah that was that was quick um but uh yeah i i think something else i remember dan nelson we were just talking about him in the film that i scored about his life um something that dan nelson said when i was a student um under his tutelage uh was don't don't die with the music still in you and I think that could be a, that could be a metaphor, you know, certainly that could apply to most other things. You could substitute it with art, painting, um, anything that's not even art related, you know, don't, don't die with your, your passions still in you, that voice unexpressed. And I think for me, um, I don't, I don't want to die feeling like I didn't be, be a good, uh, that I wasn't a good steward of my joy mm -hmm. for music, because if I, you know, how do I put this? Being able to have your vocation and occupation be one and the same is a luxury. I think, you know, I mean, not, not everyone is, is, is so, so lucky to be able to have both commingle. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Um, but yeah, seeing is I have the, the resources, I have the passion. I'm starting to, you know, kind of have more connections and form relationships with people. It feels like, okay, like as, as I'm, I'm feeling like I'm being guided forward, I need to keep walking that path, so to speak. This final clip comes from my conversation with Ken Deeks, in which he describes his work as an active therapist, his responsibilities leading a folk band, and what seems like a deeper vocation of bringing the joy of Christ to whatever situation he's in, to whichever people he's with. It comes from Forecast Episode 6, I Take Christ With Me. I don't see a difference. I mean, when I'm in church, I'm worshipping, specifically worshipping. But where I am, wherever I am, I'm not different from where I would be anywhere else. 
I, I, I don't try to be, I, I don't try to uh, exclude people with a religious language. Uh, I, I don't try, I am just, I'm, and, and I try to be 24 seven what I am, wherever I am. Now, I'm not to say that I'm perfect or I don't have a headache or I, I, I'm sometimes, I might get irritable, but I'm keenly aware of that when it happens, probably after the event. But what I'm trying to say is that I try to be what I am, wherever I am. And I am a Christian. So I can't stop being a Christian just because I'm at, at, at the NHS or when I'm going to a nursing home or when I'm out with my friends doing tunes at the beach band or when I'm calling a Kaylee. It's the same me wherever I am. And so I take, so if you want to be, if you want to wrap it up in, uh, and forgive me putting this way, if you want to wrap it up in religious language, I take Christ with me, in me. Now, uh, I fail, and that's what forgiveness is about. But I still take him with me 24-7. I hope these clips inspire you to listen to the full episodes and even to other episodes on Forecast, as all of our guests have provided rich insights on a variety of occupations under the one vocation, the greatest vocation, of following Jesus and being transformed in his likeness. We hope to continue offering new insights on vocation, especially through the conversations we have on Forecast and now the resources we share on Forethought as well. In closing, as we heard a few minutes ago, Scott Stevens described his vocation with reference to Jesus' Parable of the Talents, in which a master entrusts money for his servants to put to use. In the context of vocation, we can understand that God gives us vocations of various kinds, whether through circumstances or natural abilities or passions or other sources, to use for God's glory. But what happens when, for whatever reason, what we once thought was our entrusted talent is no longer available to us? The 17th century English poet John Milton asked this question in his poem called Sonnet 19 on his blindness, in which he describes how his blindness has made his writing vocation useless. In the midst of his question, he finds that there is a deeper work to which he remains called. So now here's his poem, Sonnet 19 on his blindness. When I consider how my light is spent, ere half my days, in this dark world and wide, and that one talent which is death to hide lodged with me useless, though my soul more bent to serve therewith my Maker, and present my true account, lest he returning chide, doth God exact day labor, light denied, I fondly ask, but patience, to prevent that murmur, soon replies, God doth not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. His state is kingly, thousands at his bidding speed, and post o'er land and ocean without rest. They also serve, who only stand and wait.
I hope you found today's episode useful in some way. We welcome any comments or feedback. Are you a writer? How do you understand writing, or whatever work you may do, as a form of ministry, as a calling? Do get in touch by emailing me at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other work posted every week. And on the website, you can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter. If you know anyone you think would enjoy and appreciate our work, do share Foreshadow, Forecast, and now also Forethought with them. Thanks for listening. That's the forecast for today. Mm-hmm.